Welcome to StoryWise, the podcast designed to give you the in-depth story behind some of our top storytellers as a way to inform, motivate, and inspire you to believe that you too can make your dreams a reality. My name is Jen Grisanti. I am the Story Career Consultant at Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc., a writer's consultancy designed to help you accomplish your writing goals and reach your career destination through one-on-one consults, seminars, and teleseminars. And I am absolutely thrilled to have with me as my guest today, Wendy Calhoun. Let me tell you a little bit about Wendy. Hi, Jen. Hi. (laughs) Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yay. I'm thrilled that you're here. Uh, Wendy Calhoun is currently a supervising producer and writer for ABC's primetime music soap, Nashville. She began her scripted television career as a staff writer for NBC's Detective Reigns, starring Jeff Goldblum. She worked as a staff writer and story editor on all 32 episodes of NBC's Life. Starring Damian Lewis, Calhoun served as executive story editor and co-producer on the first 26 episodes of FX is Peabody award-winning series Justified, starring Timothy Oliphant. Most recently, she wrote and produced the first 13 episodes of ABC's new hit primetime soap Revenge, Prior to writing scripted dramas, Calhoun wrote, produced, and or directed over 40 hours of nonfiction programs for PBS, Animal Planet, VH1, TLC, and the Travel Channel, including co-producing the second season of Fox's Hell's Kitchen and the Discovery Channel's construction reality series, Monster House with executive producer Tom Beers. She also worked as director of creative affairs for Village Roadshow Pictures, a graduate of the Performing Arts High School in Dallas, Texas. Calhoun earned a BFA in film and television at New York University's Tisch School of the Arts and was one of the NYU's first Martin Luther King Jr. scholars. Wow. <laughs> Unbelievable. It sounds like I so much when you read it like that. Well, it, my <laughs> God. I mean, since you and I sat down together, it's like mind-blowing. I love it. All right. So let's get started. My God, what an incredible body of work. I am so, so proud of you, first of all. Let me say that. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Let's see. So starting with at what point in your life... Did you know, I always like to ask people, like, at what point, because so many people will say, oh, I never knew there was such a job as a professional writer. You know, I never knew they didn't know TV. They thought TV just wrote itself. But anyway, with you, like, at what point did you know that writing is my path? And was there a trigger? There was a definite trigger. Um, when I was attending the Performing Arts High School in Dallas, Texas, I took a playwriting class my sophomore year. I was right. 16. And in that class, um, I wrote my first play. 
and it was produced. Uh, the The school did a new plays festival, and they chose three or four plays every year that they would produce. And so it was cast and directed, and I, I got to see it on its feet. And um, I remember up until that time, I had done a lot of sort of giving speeches and improv competitions and performing. Uh huh. And <laughs> my father was never that interested in that. I mean, my mother was very supportive, and she would always come and see me if I was in something. But my father just really wasn't into it. And then when I wrote the play, I invited him to come and see it, and he came. Right. And that was really the first, that was this moment where he thought, I thought, oh, my gosh, my dad's actually going to come. Right. And he sat and he watched the play. And afterwards, he said to me, that was good. You should do that. That was it. I love that story. That was it. That was it. I don't know. Dad's approval was all it took, I guess. But I also got a lot of pleasure out of seeing my um, the the things that I was dreaming up in my bedroom on a legal pad actually performed, actually come to life. And so I I think it was pretty clear to me at that point that I was going to continue to write, Um, and. So before the end of high school, how yeah. much did you do a lot more writing? I did. I did. I wrote um, two more plays, and one of them, my senior year of high school, was actually produced at a theater in Dallas called Theater One, which was a professional theater. Wow. That's a big deal That's a um, for high deal. school students. Yeah. So um, I knew when I went to NYU, I went to Playwrights Horizons because I didn't want to stop learning dramaturgy and the writing aspect. But I also, I always had this interest in a lot of different areas, um, directing as well. And and once I got through my first year at Playwrights Horizons, um, I decided that I wanted to switch into the film department to, to take advantage of the fact that I like to do, I like to wear so many different hats. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's interesting. A lot of times young writers will ask me about my writing experience and I tell them, the truth is, as much as I love writing, and that is definitely a component of what I do, a very strong component, I see myself as a producer right. who writes. Yeah. Um, because well, I, you have a lot of background in producing, too. Yeah, so that, yeah. I'm sure, has made you, like, you know, what do they call it, a triple threat, like, going <laughs> into it. I mean, it made you probably go into the position ready to produce more than the right. average writer Going into a brand new situation. And when you get into something like series television, where you are week after week coming up with programming, you really have to have a strong producing bone. Right, right. (laughs) Because it's it's so much of the decisions that you make in story are based on some limitations that just come out of the machine of series television. You have a set number of sets. You have a set number of characters. You have a, you know, there's just, you're only going to shoot for nine days, you know, in the case of Nashville. So there's there's just certain things you have to think about as a producer as you develop story. When you think about, it's a very good point that you brought up because I certainly know after leaving the executive ranks and writing books uh, that part of it was learning the right side versus the left side of the brain. Would you say in your position, is it is it hard for you to really operate in a, in a role that utilizes both, or do you do do you prefer? Oh, I I prefer definitely. Yeah. I I like to to use them both. Um, I agree with I, you. I actually think I get a little frustrated if there's no practical application for yeah. what I'm doing. I'm just that kind of person. Yeah, and that's another reason why I gravitated towards series television because, right. um, in feature film, which I dabbled in as a 
an executive. Right. Um, I was frustrated that it took so long. <laughs> right. And, and in, you know, in series TV, I know that, for example, the Nashville that I'm writing right now is going to be on the air in October. That's not that long. <laughs> I, I'm going to get that gratification, and there that just keeps coming. High and it's that. really nice. That yeah. is amazing, and I love the work that you're doing. Thank really, you. Really, really fantastic. Uh, all right, so going into, like, further in them, I'm very excited to get into all the shows. Going into the idea of, say, I always like asking writers, at what point do you think you, you came into your voice? And, like, when did you start recognizing your own voice in your writing? And can you describe what that experience was like? Well, the first television series, scripted television series that really inspired me was a show called Six Feet Under. Yeah, I loved Six on Feet HBO. Under. Yeah. Wow. And that touched me and spoke to me in a way that I thought for the first time professionally, oh, I could write because yeah. that's something I would want to write. Right. And it, it was a long time coming. I had been writing plays up until then. I had been doing a lot of different things and I never could find that show that spoke to me. Right. And and so that was a big moment. Uh, suddenly yeah. I felt like, oh, wait a minute, there is a place for the way I dream. Or the, right. You know? Yeah. And, and um, so that was a real turning point for me, Six Feet Under. I, I was, uh, I watched it religiously. And, um, and then I, I wrote a spec of that. And, um, and that really got the ball rolling right. for me. Um, and then as I've, you know, each show. I think that may have been what I read. Probably. Yeah, 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 yeah. Probably. Yeah. Um each each show that I've worked on, it's interesting. I've developed an I don't I don't know necessarily that I've um expanded my voice, but I've just found new uh, new places, new ranges, new new way, new new ways to go with it. Yeah. So um yeah, I mean, I definitely I do think though that 6 feet under there was something about that show that touched me in a way that made me feel like I, there was a place for my voice. One other thing, too, I think even earlier than that was when I decided to go to NYU as um, a high school senior, I guess I decided my senior year. Right. I had I used to love to go to the arts theater, um, movie theater in town, and I would always, I would go by myself. Um, and I had seen um, Spike Lee's movies. Mm-hmm. And Spike Lee, definitely for me as a high schooler and going into college, was a big reason why I said, I have to go to NYU because that's where he went. Because up until that point, I didn't even realize that um, a person of color like myself could really have such a strong voice behind the camera. Right. And it was great that he was also in front of the camera because then I probably wouldn't have known, <laughs> you know. Right. But because he was doing oh, I both, love, yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, that I thought, okay, there could, that could be. Away from me. That to could go. be my future. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I literally went the same school that he done. went to. <laughs> oh, see, but I definitely have stories like that of mentors who I'm like, I want to be where he's at, and yeah. and how you mimic the path that they took. Yes. To get there. Yes. So because you know, I mean, that's how we learn. We, that this is the whole purpose for this podcast. Really, is to help people understand the story behind our top storytellers, so they can figure out a path. You know, so I love that you you got that from Spike Lee. And I love, you know, you touched on something and I would love to go into that, like like being a woman of color and being at the top of your game. What kind of challenges did that present along the way or did it? 
Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I know, I guess it does present challenges, but I've put myself in some positions that are very, very unique. Right. I mean, writing for Justified, I was the only female writer in that room for two seasons. The first wow. two seasons, it was me and the guys. Um, and I was I was totally comfortable with that. And, right. And it was interesting. I, I actually felt throughout my journey in Hollywood that gender played a bigger role right. than race. Right. Um, with regards to with challenges. regards to yeah well and yeah. also writing and for, yeah. for whatever reason there's a very yes there's a small number of African American writers and many of them get get sort of put on certain shows there was a time period when there's a lot of shows unfortunately a lot of them have gone away right but they would get sort of put on those types of shows and then they weren't weren't able to branch out I sort of made a very conscious choice in the, early in my career that I didn't want to be seen as a quote unquote just a black writer right I would write uh, lots of voices in my pieces right that didn't you couldn't tell if I was a man or a woman I think right reading it and I and that was important to me, and you couldn't tell necessarily. So that you was had a strategy. That definitely, was good. I didn't want to be yeah. seen as just that. Um, and the interesting thing, though, now is that um, I am on a show. I mean, Nashville has the most women I've ever worked with. It right. is top to bottom female power on the show. I love it. <laughs> so That's that part great is, to hear. is very very exciting. Yeah. Um, and so, but it's not seen as a black show by any right. stretch, you know. I right. think Scandal maybe fills that hole better right. than, than Nashville does. But um, I don't know. As far as challenges, it's hard to say because it, I think it's so personal what everyone's journey is that they're going to go through. And I don't think it's fair um, to try to equate my journey with anyone else's in in that respect because right. it's it's all about the people that you're working with are you comfortable and barriers are going to come in any situation exactly in any given and how could we i mean i definitely agree and it's funny like i definitely feel like there are women who who we've discussed this who are like i don't really know that I could say that was definitively because I was a woman or this or that. And then there are women who we've had this conversation who are absolutely, it's tough being a woman in the writer's room and these are the things that you're going to go through. So I definitely think like when I look at your background for me, like knowing my own background and, and how I paved my path, like I look at your background and for me, I think you created all of this. Like, I I look at this and I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> and, and the fact that you, you know, succeeded in all these different areas before landing the, the job that, that you are in and meant to be in right now, um, I think just made you that much stronger in every way. I think, I think it was... There are some definitely some conscious choices made right. there. I mean, right. you know, one of the big conscious choices I made was the move from Justified to Revenge. Tell me about it. Well, I was going to ask you about that. I'm like, okay, well, I you know, see that she was on a show yeah. that's still on. Yeah. Tell me about it. Absolutely. Well, Justified was a great experience. And like I said, I was the only female in the room. I did notice, though, in between seasons, because one of the lovely things about Cable um, is that you do have time off, you know, right. you, you only do 13 episodes really a year. And so you have 
several months that you can write your own material. Right. And that's a blessing. And when you have that chance, that's when you can really, like you say, find your voice again. Right. Well, when I would sit down to find my voice again after writing, you know, all these men with guns kind of situations. Right. I would write really soapy stuff. And then when I would go into the room, I would be, I was always pitching, you know, kind of soapier stuff for Winona and, you know, uh, um, Ava and those characters. And I just loved that stuff. Right. So when I read the uh, pilot for Revenge, I was really excited because I thought, oh, my gosh, here's a hybrid of that sort of um, character-driven procedural that I had been doing for quite some time. Because the first Revenges, were, they were more, more procedural in a, right. a way. She, you right. know, she was an anti-hero right. on, on a quest for revenge. Right. Um, but they also had all this great soap. Right. And because I had been writing with men and writing so many male voices for so long, I was super excited to go write for Madeline Stowe and Emily Van Camp because here was, you know, a female antihero and a female villain and it was just going to be so much fun. I couldn't, I couldn't not do it. But it's interesting that you say that because it's kind of like a moment repeated itself for you. Like when you, you saw Six Feet Under and you're like, this is the type of show I can write on. And I think it sounds like you had the same type of excitement when you read Revenge. And so I think listening to that, which is great for everyone to know and understanding your own instincts and your own voice and what might be a better path for you. How did you go about telling the people on Justified? <laughs> it was not easy. <laughs> I can't it was imagine. not easy. Um, and it was, it actually was. It, it was hard because Justify really felt like family. Yeah. Um, and when you find that that room and those group of people, I mean, I had actually worked with several of the people on that show on Reigns, right. which was my first ever scripted show. Right. So I felt an extreme sense of loyalty. Um, Graham Yost, who I created gonna, Justified, yeah, yeah. has done so much for my career. Um, you know, he he called he's me. Uh, yes, he, he's amazing as a person yeah. and as a writer. Um, just a real wonderful guy. So it wasn't easy. But I... After I did that, um, he's you know, behind the Americans now, yes, right? Yes, he is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. After I did that, just the world opened up to me in new ways. Really Good. did. All of Good. a sudden, um, you know, Nashville never would have happened had I not made the jump for revenge. You know. So how? Tell us about that. Going then from revenge to Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes you jump and sometimes right. you get pushed. Right, right. Um, <laughs> okay, this is good for people to know. <laughs> and by the way, you're not a real writer until you've been pushed at least once. Right. That's all I have I to agree. say. I totally agree. So it, it, it's just, it comes with the territory. I, um, I, I, I was very, very excited on revenge because um, we were taking, we to be honest with you, we what we wanted to do, we being the core group that started it, right? Um, we we all thought it wouldn't it be cool to have Aaron Spelling come back on TV? That right. was it. We wanted a guilty Yay. pleasure Aaron Spelling yes. show, and 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 that was really the thing that inspired us. So I was very excited um, on the first thirteen, and then um, when it came time to pick up those options on the back nine. I was surprised because right. a couple of us did not get our options picked up, and, and I was one of them. And I thought, "Wow, how did that happen?" Because I didn't see it coming at right. all. Right. Um, and the showrunner just felt like oh, I love he your openness wanted to make a change. Stuff. Right. Uh, he brought in some people he had worked with before. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's what he wanted to do. It was heartbreaking because I felt like, you know, the myself and the other person that he was letting go, we really played a, a large role right. in the creation of the series, and right. so. You, you, you sort of assume, and I should warn everybody this about right. this, because you assume that 
with success comes more success, but that's not necessarily true. Right. And I learned that. Yeah. <laughs> that was my lesson. Yeah. Um, and so what it did do, though, is it afforded me um, several months of still, you know, pulling a check and writing what I wanted to write again. I and love so it. you just, you know, I just took advantage of that and, you know, wrote a, a pilot idea that I had been wanting to write, but had been too busy to write. Right. And, uh, and embraced that. So I, you know, everything, everything happens and you, you take it as it comes and, and you learn from it and you try to move on. Um, yeah. But, it, you know, I, it's interesting. <laughs> you, it's interesting. You always brace yourself for failure, I think, yeah. in this business, especially yes. in TV, because, you know, most of the shows don't get a back nine. Most right. of the shows don't. Uh, they could be canceled after right. two airings. Lately. So you're always bracing yourself for like, yeah. oh, gosh, are we going to fail? But then when you have a success like that. Yeah. You don't even think for a minute yes. that you might come into work one day and be told you can go home. Yes. But it happens. <laughs> I I cannot tell you I am so grateful that you spoke toward that. And I am so grateful that your example of being in alignment with your own voice and making a choice that wound up going through a frightening passage after you made the choice and then losing it, but then being given the gift of time while still receiving a paycheck to do what you truly loved, yeah. it was all meant to happen. I yeah. mean, it's like you look at that and you're like, it. I think I think the biggest thing about this industry because there's so much uncertainty and there is so much failure. I mean, when you talk about, you know, when I think about development over the last three years. There haven't been a ton of breakout hits, not in the way that there used to be. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when you look at shows like Homeland, mm -hmm. you know, and you sit there and you think, okay, we can take for granted that we're going to get those type of breakout hits every year or Modern Family or because sometimes we go years before there's another type of you know, and so I think that I think what you're saying, but then I think with network television versus cable as well and and what they've gone through in the last couple of years, it, it's interesting. I I had coffee, actually, and, and this is a segue and it was an interesting thing. And you can talk to this because you've worked on both. I had I had coffee with a woman from uh, Israel who works in the whole is. Israeli distribution of TV and production and representation. And she said, which which is funny because I had never really thought of it. She goes, I think the reason the cable shows are really excelling in a way that network isn't as much has to do with the 13 episodes, has to do with the fact that you put everything into that and then and you don't have to think of stories for seven, nine, eight, nine, ten more episodes. And I think that's what makes it fresh. And it was so interesting because it makes so much sense. Yeah, I had never really thought about it in those terms. And yet, I think as a viewer, I've looked at the 13 episode thing and been frustrated because I wanted more. Mm -hmm. So it is really, what do you think having been on both sides of, of the idea of 
cable versus even though you've been on like Showtime or HBO, but still with Justified versus versus Nashville. Mm-hmm. What what are what parallels and what differences? I think there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. Um, I th- what what it allows you to do with those shorter um, seasons, right? Is first of all you you. Uh, you have less. You have less of a pressure, yeah, <laughs> to um, fit the commerce yeah. of the business. Okay, right. so you're on NFX, and you, you know we, you know we knew fairly early on that we probably we were going to get a second season, and we knew we were going to have time off in between seasons. And during that time off in between seasons, that's like the best incubation period. That's it when is. great ideas come to you. Yeah, I um I love to tell this story, so I'll just oh, tell good. it again. Please but do. In between season one and season two of Justified, I really felt like our show could use an extra dose of authenticity it was all shot in um, los angeles and many of us had never even been to kentucky after we wrote the first season right so um a friend of mine's father um was a kentucky state police officer and she invited me to stay at her home in kentucky and i did that and um he introduced me to all of the marshals there i hung out with them i i went to harlan i got i went on ride-alongs with the marshals and and this, I all, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I, I did this all on my dime the first time because right. um, Sony was hemming and hawing about right. whether they wanted to do a research script. They, they actually ended up doing one, right. um, especially after I came back and told everyone how awesome it was and how right. we had to do it. But they right. were already sort of planning it, honestly. Um, but I just wanted to go. Also, okay, I wanted to have that experience of being that black female alone. Right. I wanted to, I didn't want, people didn't necessarily know who I was and right. why I was there. Right. So I could get more of an insider view. Yes. So That was um, so smart. Yeah, it was fun. But Very I'll tell smart. you, it's one of the best, one of the coolest things ever that's happened in my career. I was doing a ride along with this wonderful uh, state trooper in Harlan and I was, I wanted to know about moonshiners and criminals. Right, <laughs> and right. And so he showed me this, this woman's house that was on this ridge, I'll never forget it. And he's like, that's where, you know, this this real-life uh, queen of the uh, mountain bootleggers lived. Right. And he starts telling me about this woman named Mags Bennett. Right. And she had just passed away. She was, she was oh, my gosh, I, I think easily 100, maybe a little more. You can look it up. But um, she'd passed away. But he told me about her story, the real-life woman, and I thought, oh, my God, that would be the best villain for season two. I love it. And I, you know, I, I called I up Sarah it. Timmerman, who was one of our producers, um, a fellow female, awesome, awesome woman. And I said, you know, oh my gosh, you will not believe the story I just heard. Right. And because it was based on a real life person, um, it was something that I could pitch to the guys and they wouldn't think I was crazy. Because, I mean, here I was going to come pitch to them, let's do a season long villain who's, you know, a 60 year old woman. <laughs> Right, it doesn't. Right. It doesn't exactly sound like a formidable bad guy for Raylan Givens right, off the bat. Right. However, um, l- luckily, uh, um, Elmore Leonard had us had some stories that he'd been working on, and he had a character that I thought, well, all we have to do is take some elements from the real life person, add it to elements from Elmore's story, and we can create this this person, and she could have the three sons that came from Elmore's story. So it was a, a whole, you know, mashup of a lot of different ideas. And then everyone in the room sort of jumped on that, and there became, you know, there's there's But Max. that was the trigger from you taking action and taking, do you know, it is, and I think this is great for everyone to hear as far as, Creating longevity in the business, in in having strategy, and recognizing what will work for the show, and 
using your own dime if that's what it takes to, you know, I mean, all of that, I think, are excellent things for people to be aware of because... I think so much of this business is you creating your path, is you deciding how far you're going to take it, you deciding what the job is going to look like with you in it Mm -hmm. versus anybody else, and you making things happen. I tell that to a lot of um, young writers that uh, ask me to mentor them or talk to them because uh, the thing I think is most important is to remember you don't need anybody's permission to be a writer. Yep. You don't need an agent to be a writer. Right. You don't need a producer to be a writer. You don't need a job to be a writer. Right. (laughs) You are already a writer. All you have to do is sit down and do the work or do the research or do whatever it takes to get your story and make it happen. Right. So I think for me, that's been always when I wake up in the morning, I don't need anyone's permission to go do what I want to do. You, you know, fill up I'm just a blank go page. Do it. Exactly, and then it's done. <laughs> I'm yeah. gonna create it. Yep. You know, and yeah. and then you know, you know, you're a writer because you start having to recreate it again. Yeah, but, um, but that's that's part of what you do. So anyway, back to the cable versus network. Thing. Right. The difference there is on network. Um, there's you, you just don't have that. You don't have that luxury of time. Yes. So you have to come up with 21, you know, 22 stories, 21 right. stories we did for Nashville this past year. And it's a lot of work. And you yeah. don't really get a lot of downtime in between yeah. seasons. Yeah. So it's, you just don't, your brain, it took me two weeks after we finished the, the room on Nashville just to come back down to earth. Right. You know, my brain was still with Raina and Deacon and everybody else. Right. <laughs> that right. Wasn't, right. I just had to come back. And um, it took that long. Yeah. Um, you know, how long is there off in between? Oh, we were really I think like a month. We were only off maybe six weeks. Wow. Um, so it's really that is it's not easy in comparison mm-hmm. because you have, but at the same time, job security mm-hmm. with the yeah. idea of more episodes, more money coming in per year, which is always a good. I think there are pluses and minuses to sure, both. Sure, sure. I mean, there, yeah, yeah. I think one of the things, one of the challenges for us too, is that. Um, Certain characters have a, uh, one of the things we always look for in storytelling on uh, a serialized show is the why now of the story. Why right. are we telling the story now? Yes. And one of the things we have on Nashville is a lot of characters. They don't always all have a why now. Yes. And that's hard. Yeah. Because the network and I think, you know, some of the producers. The biggest are, development note yeah, given. <laughs> they, some, some people really want to yeah. see, they just want to see those characters every week. Well, every week those characters don't actually have a story. Right. <laughs> so right. that's hard because you yeah. can, you constantly have to generate material. Sometimes you you can even feel yourself treading water. Yeah. You know? Um. So that that's difficult too. That happens less with thirteen episodes. Yeah. With thirteen episodes, you can pace it so that y- you don't have to artificially manufacture your why now. Yeah. Um. It's just. It just comes naturally it, it, it because comes. they're, yeah. yeah. No, I yeah. think that, I think that is great. So looking at the writer's room for all the shows that you've worked on, what would you say is a system that you have found works the best? Like if you were to start, if you were to staff your own show tomorrow and create, what it, what room style would you, or combination of? Would you utilize? 
It's funny that you asked that because that's one of those that's one of those dreams. <laughs> you know that we what's coming. Think about, I know, you know what's coming. We never tell anyone because <laughs> right. we bore them. We think, right. or, you know, how would I do my room? Um, yeah. I'm allowing you. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate yes, that. Exactly. I have thought about this, and one of the things, one of the issues I've found in a lot of different rooms, um, and this is on multiple shows, not any one in particular, um, is a a lot of time is spent with writers sitting, trying to churn up material in a room, and it's hard. Uh, you know, nine hours a day sitting in a room, that is, that's way too much to ask. So right. for my room... <laughs> right, there we go. I, w- I would like for the writers to have three or four hours a day where they actually are immersed in the research, in develop, coming up with ideas, in, you know, if, if it's a show about, I, I don't know, if... If it's a show about country music, then I want them out, you know, hearing bands. I want them, you know, going to the Opry. I want them, you know, uh, talking to record producers, I, you know, that. Yes. And then the other part of the room, the other time, is when we come together and we share what we found. Yeah. And then we and we start to just list out, oh, that would be a great character. Oh, that would be such a good scene. Or, oh, we, we could mash up that idea with that idea. I feel like, um, and maybe it's from all the reality experience. Right. But I feel like you go out, you do the research, and then you come back and you and you and you start to develop the stories. And I would probably do that for a good month, right? Before we wrote a thing, yeah, I really would. And then after that, um, it would be a matter of finding those stories that the certain writers in the room gravitate towards, right? And and I think it's so important. And unfortunately, because of the grind of network TV, is something that happens, is that a lot of times writers. Um, you know, just sort of arbitrarily get an assignment, right? And that, and they may not be the best match, the, the best for match. The material. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think it's so important that a writer feels invested in the material and feels like there's some, there's a part of that story that they need to tell, right? And um, so I, I would go out of my way to make sure that certain writers got to tell certain stories, right? Um, and and then very smart. And then leave them alone. Yeah. There we go. There we go. <laughs> leave them alone. Yes. My God. Leave them alone for a while and give them a chance to. And trust. And trust. Yeah. yeah give them a chance to write it the, yeah. way, the way that they see it. Yeah. Um, and then and then start that, that rewrite process. Um, another thing, too, and I think I, I feel really blessed that I did have the three years of development experience is um, – after a first draft, uh-huh. I feel like a writer should be. I, th- I feel like that showrunner should be able to give notes to yes. the writer. Right, and let the writer go off and do the second draft. I, I love it. I, I totally agree. There's so many showrunners yeah. out there who will just take that script and they will start to make changes in it, and the writer doesn't know why. Right, and they don't really get that feedback as to why the changes happen, and then the next thing you know, their their script's out in the world, and they're going, well. Okay. <laughs> Part of that is me. Part of it is not. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And and the problem with that to me is that now when it comes time for that writer to write again, they're second guessing themselves. They're not sure right. if the choices that they're making are the right choices. And and I think you can really you can alleviate a lot of that second guessing right. by just you know having taking the time to have that session where you say to the writer, hey, here's what you need to do. Right. You know, that's something, um, more props to Graham, that's something that he that he does. Right. Um, you know, when you're in the thick of it, sometimes, you know, it's hard. But, but in, in the earlier stages, and here again is the luxury of time with Cable, um, he definitely, he, you know, he would give notes. Right. He, he'll give you notes. And, and they're not uh, nitpicky notes either. Right. They're very... Um, 
they're the kind of notes that make you think. Right. Um, I, the first Justified I wrote, I remember um, the main note he gave me was like, yeah, that was really good. You know, and I had just come off of writing Life, which right. is a straight network procedural. Right. So he goes, that was good. Now, could you do it again? But weird. <laughs> That's a great note. <laughs> I like that note. thinking to myself, weird. Right. <laughs> sit down and I'm looking at the script again. I'm like, okay, how do I make this weird? Yeah, you know, which would but, go with Joe's justified tone-wise. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I like that. Well, that's, you know, when you're doing cable, by yeah. the way, there's a there's a uh, sort of a mandate that yes. if, it, if it smells like network, go the other way. Right. Do I not like do that. what you see on network I like TV. That. And I think that's this is another one of the things, unfortunately, in network, and I got nothing against network. I'm working right. there now. It's yes. perfectly fine. Yeah. But a lot of times they feel because there's so much on the line. Yes. Um, the cre- the creators or the or actually the executives especially, they keep they gravitate toward the familiar because yeah. they know that that worked. Yes. And so they, they so more they wanna... formulaic. Yeah. I can tell. I I worked at CBS Paramount. I worked at Spelling. I've been on the studio side and the studio network side. So it yeah. I would agree with you. Yeah. You go toward, you skew toward the safer because you know that there's a greater thing you're answering to. Mm -hmm. Whereas cable, I feel like there's more liberty to, as you say, I love the idea of if you think it's going the safe direction or the network direction, go anywhere else but <laughs> exactly. like that is that's fantastic that's true yeah that, that's true it shouldn't it shouldn't feel that way and i think i think too that audiences go to cable because they want to see something different yeah i they would agree want with you. something that's outside of and i definitely think that network has abc has certainly pushed the envelope big time um cbs i'm like with the good wife there have been really pushing the envelope mm-hmm. in ways that I didn't think network would. So I, mm-hmm. I and I appreciate that. Yeah. You know what well, I mean? When I saw the pilot for Nashville, I yeah. thought, wow. Yeah. ABC is really brave. Yes. That was brave. This yeah. is not, it doesn't have the same pacing as what you see normally on yes. network TV. Right. It doesn't have the same, I mean, we're still feel like figuring out the formula. Right, right. <laughs> and, you know, maybe it'll be a great show because we never do. <laughs> right, right, right. But, uh, right. you know, it's, it That's was a just good thing. so different, yeah. you know, for what they normally for what they normally do. Yeah. Um, and that was really refreshing. Isn't it interesting, though, when you think about TV, like when I think about how much story has evolved and when you think about something like a central core conflict of a threesome mm-hmm. and how that that alone, that central conflict, like like in Nashville, in um, Scandal, the the whole concept of that, you can get so many episodes off of that core central conflict. Sure. Yeah. yeah. We, we call them the triangles. Yeah. We, we love to build triangles upon triangles. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes and it's I hard to lo- keep it straight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Because yeah. we look at in life what that is and and i think any any time where there's three people involved in any type of scenario it creates conflict mm-hmm. you know so i think it often creates conflict so i think that i i do uh love and appreciate that all right i love your honesty and i love what i also love that I think is fascinating like when you take the hat which i have so many reality people who still have the desire and the dream to be writing on scripted TV. So I love 
that even you mentioned the idea that when you were on like Hell's Kitchen and other reality shows, how you recognize the value of getting to know the real situation so that you're absorbing and then passing forward. So I love that. And, and for you, how else would you say being having reality in your background help inform you as a scripted writer? I think I, I think we live in an age of authenticity. Mm-hmm. I think that audiences are hungry for it. I think that's why reality has done as well as it has. Yep. Um, and, and we, okay, yes, there is a level of manufactured authenticity yes, to exactly. that. But there's an art to that too. There is. And so for me, um, being able to try, just trying to have my pieces be as authentic as I can is probably one of the things I've carried the forward. Truth. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and, I also feel like um, the pacing of reality is a great preparation for people going into scripted. Um, the fact that you think in terms of two and three minute, yeah, we, we used to call them pods. I don't know what they're called now, but they're they're really things. Stories are told in very small segments. Right. There were days in Hell's Kitchen I'll never forget. I would have four editors going at the same time, and I would go from bay to bay. And I would be just watching two-minute segments from my show. Right. And that's the sort of story capsules I was thinking in. Yeah. And if you watch Nashville, it's very close to that. Oh, I, mean, I we like don't it. have. There's very rarely any page, any um, any scene that's over. I think probably the average scene is a page. Right. There's rarely any scene over two pages. Oh, good for people to know. Writing Nashville spec. Very, yep. very tight. Yeah. Very tight writing. And... Um, and because of that, that the, the preparation actually coming out of reality was good for that. Yeah. I find that actually some of the writers who were of the generation before mine um, find that a little jarring. Yeah. That's not, that's, they're just not used to that. They're, they're more used to, I think, the three-page three, three page scene or four-page scene where you actually could let things breathe a little more. Right. And there's definitely, trust me, there's times I wish we could do that on yeah. Nashville. But um, for whatever reason, the way this, this show sh- shook out. Right has that same rhythm of reality. It's that. It's a lot of scenes. Right. Short scenes. Oh, see? I like the how the two... I remember people would say to me, Jen, you're a scripted girl. And I said, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm a reality show addict. And the reason <laughs> I'm an addict is because of exactly what you're talking about. First of all, I love the reality shows where I'm there in the middle of the dream happening. Right. I love that. To me, there's nothing better mm-hmm. than to be in the moment that someone's dream is coming true. Yeah. So I draw from that. And I also look at, from the scripted viewpoint, is look at what characters are popular in reality shows. Right. What's in their backstory that the audience is gravitating toward. There's so much to learn mm-hmm. from it. And and certainly we know a lot of reality is scripted. So it, as you say, I mean, every type of creativity is used. It's all storytelling. Oh, yeah. It's all storytelling. Well, that character work is really, I still do a lot of that. Yeah. Um, on Hell's Kitchen, that second season, I flew to Texas and I interviewed about, I think I said I was interviewed about five of the contestants that were right. going on to the season. And, and in those initial interviews, you're really trying to figure out who their character is. Yeah. Um, I approach my, my fictional characters the same way. Yeah. I mean, I sit down and I'll write a bio right. about who they are so yeah. that I know so that I can create from there. I, yeah. I just need that sort of I need that foundation to know who they are. And so character is really important to me. It helps me make 
more distinct choices, and I spend a lot of time developing those the characters. It, even when, I mean, you know, today we were working on a scene, or I was working on a scene with um, Juliet's, for Juli- one of Juliet's assistants. Yeah. And um, the smallest character, right? Yeah. But to me, it made all the difference because she needed to speak to who she was, but also why is she in Juliet's world now? What right. are we trying to say with that? It's so much a part of the story, who this person is. Yes. And so in order to do that, I have to sort of fill in some And lines. no matter how small the part, like I always Doesn't tell matter. writers, think about when you're thinking about character breakdown, think about what is the wound that's driving the character and what is the flaw that's getting in the way. Right. Because then you are creating who is this person and what drives them. And it's like when we think about our lives, they say we all will go through three to four massive turning points where our world is turned upside down. And very often those turning points are what inform our voice and they're what fuel us forward. So it's kind of like thinking of your characters in the same way. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'll tell you, though, too, the concept in reality, in reality, those concepts are just so fun. Right. And, <laughs> um, and uh, there's a show that actually my family's been watching lately. What? Which one? <laughs> Naked and Afraid on no Discovery. Way. I haven't heard about okay. it. OK, you got to check this out. What is it? Tell me. I love the name. It's, it's, is it it's it exactly says? what it says it is. It's a couple <laughs> You know, the well, the, the episode I just watched the other night was a couple stranded in the, the Louisiana swamps. Right. And they're naked. And they're having to kill snakes in order to eat them and survive. And I just kept saying to, uh, I have a 16-year-old, and I kept saying to her, I'm like, this is the story of Adam and Eve. Right. It really I mean. Right. It was so. Fascinating. It was fascinating. All yes, right, I love it. Because it was, um, you know, <laughs> it was just, it was. It was actually reality TV that was biblical. I know right. that sounds really crazy, but no, it really no. was, like the story it. itself was it. was so relatable. I could see that playing all over the world. Everybody gets it, and right. that's one of the things. That's one of the things I think reality does in a, such a great way. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I love that. I I I think that's fantastic, and I totally agree. I couldn't agree more. All right, so winding down, I have a, two more questions I want you to think about. Um, the first would be mistakes made in the writer's room (laughs) what are common mistakes that you've seen made or have made that you wish someone maybe had informed you about or just that you've seen others make that you would want to pass forward don't make this mistake wow yeah um there's always or the writer's room is this petri dish <laughs> of characters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and um, one of the one of the mistakes I feel like I've made in the past um, is that I'm that I I'm the writer who doesn't I, I like to think yeah. I think and I listen to everybody but sometimes that's perceived as you know not being there right and you know if if several hours go by and you haven't said something, people start to get concerned. So, uh, you know, uh, you know, speak up, I guess, is one of the things. Don't be afraid to pitch. There'd be so many times when I was in the room where I had an idea and I just kept it to myself and somebody else pitched it and the showrunner was like, that's awesome. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, I thought of that 20 minutes ago. Right, so, right, good, so, I like that. you know, you get an idea, have the courage to just blurt it out and not be afraid that it's going to get shot down because I think a lot of people... Um, hold back especially new writers you know right. staff writers who are who are already intimidated by the fact that they're there and they they don't know you know the lay of the land 
Um, it can be political. Yeah. There's a lot of times people who try to uh, take over a room or drive a room, and you can't be afraid to also disagree yeah. with them. You yeah. know, there's there's definitely been times when I've felt strongly against an idea that was being pushed forward, and I didn't say anything, and, and I regretted it later. And, and by the time I said something, it, you know, we were already down the line, and you don't want to be that person either. You're not yeah. there to, you don't want to derail a pitch that's going down the track. Right. If you see in the beginning, hey, here's a flag I'm going to throw up on this pitch, throw the flag. Yeah. <laughs> don't be afraid, you know, because I think that there's a lot to be said for um, for throwing flags. Yeah. Um, and Good it helps, advice. yeah, I it helps like writers that. to, it helps everyone else in the room to at least, even if they don't agree with the flag you're throwing, they're thinking that they're, they're thinking about what are the alternatives already because you just, because you, had the courage to say that right um now the flip side of that this isn't a problem that i have but i've seen many writers have it uh no one to no one to be quiet yeah <laughs> no one to be quiet because one of the problems with it is the flip side i think it's the biggest <laughs> reason they say staff writers are let go they either don't speak up enough or they yes, speak up too, too much. much right <laughs> yeah. it's so hard to find the balance but that is really the key you yeah. know um and part of the thing is, I think a lot of times the people who talk constantly are not listening. Yes. And and that's if if there's anything you can you can take away from this, it's just you in order to pitch, you've got to take the time to listen to what's going on in the room because a lot of times those people that are blabbers are just repeating what has already been said again and again because they just want to suck the air out of the room, and that's exactly what they're doing. Right. <laughs> right. So, um, excellent. So, you know. Anyways, excellent. try to balance between pitching in and listening. Yeah. And um, and I know writers who do something that's very effective. I like to do it too, which is, you know, when you get an idea, if somebody's on a roll. Take some notes for yourself. Keep formulating your idea, and then when the time comes, don't be afraid to, to throw it out there. Good, you know. Um, Good, but but go ahead and give yourself the time to to be creative to formulate um, before you spit out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it doesn't hurt to know the hierarchy of the room. It doesn't. That hurt was to... going to be my last question. <laughs> Let's talk to the politics of the room. Yeah. So share whatever insight you have that you feel would be beneficial to other people in understanding the, how the politics of the room work. Right. Uh, you would be surprised. I say about 50% of the writers in a room, especially in a room that's just starting, do their homework. Yeah. 50%. Wow. 50% of the writers come in the room and they know everybody else's credits. Yeah. And they know something about that person. It's not that hard to find out anymore anything about anybody. Um, <laughs> With Google, I know. you can find out everything. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, the, in, and LinkedIn. So and, yep. You would be surprised how many people, though, walk in knowing nothing. Yeah. And expecting, I don't know what they're expecting to be told. I don't yeah. know. So they step into landmines mm -hmm. <laughs> constantly. All right. It's good advice. So do your research before you walk into the writer's room. Good. I hated Hawaii Five-0. <laughs> well, actually, this guy right here created it. <laughs> you know, those kinds of things <laughs> yep. happen. Yep. And, and then suddenly they're eating crow for the rest of the day. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, homework is important. But homework goes beyond to just knowing who you're with. Um, homework is that writer who... Uh, comes into the room and has read 
what's gone out that, right. that keeps up with the scripts, that keeps up with the story documents, that keeps up with the notes. Right. Um, and it's not easy. It's a lot of material, a lot. It's right. coming at you all the time, but it's really important to try to keep up as much as you can right? Um, so that your pitches are on point. Right. a lot of times... Um, especially on a serialized sto- show, the story will get past you. Right. <laughs> You'll be pitching something like, hey, we did that. Or that's coming up in episode seven. Are you paying attention? You yes. know, so it's, Yeah, the train is moving. Hard. It's yeah. hard. It's yeah, hard. Yeah. But, um, but it's, you know, you do have, there's homework that has to be done in order to be prepared to handle that, that situation. Well, and I think that's a very, that's an excellent point to bring up because I think a lot of times, not even just writers, everybody in any business. Like, we get in our own way. Like, we create or sabotage our own success mm. by simply not doing what's expected. Right. You know, and so I think the it's a very simple piece of advice. Do your research. Do your homework. Yeah. Come into the room prepared. It. I, I think, you know, when I think about... You know, in in traveling this past year to different countries to speak with the TV Writers Summit and the TV Writers Studio and recognizing how many people all over the world are watching our shows. Like, and the fact that our people who are working in television here, people around the world will give their left arm for the job. Wow. So it's like, it's really looking at that and and valuing the position. And part of valuing the position is doing the work. Right. You know? Right. I will, ooh, here's here's probably yeah. the biggest mistake, biggest yeah. mistake I ever oh, made what is and it? have, have uh, overcome or have, I'm working on, let's put it like that. I am passionate. I get very attached to my ideas and my pitches and the work that I do. And, you know, (laughs) it really is. (laughs) It's like, what is it called? Skeet shooting? (laughs) When you're pitching in a room, you put that disc up in the air and, you know, many times it's going to get shot and it's going to get blown apart. And you got to watch your baby just blown apart and fall to the ground. Right. Um, And I used to especially in the beginning, that would really upset me. Right. I would carry that hurt and uh, disappointment with me. Uh, you know, at first it would be overnight, you know, or I'd take it home with me. And then as I got more used to it, it would be for all through lunch or, you know, right. <laughs> for an hour. Right. Now, pss, I could care less. Now you I just, just keep it, it coming. Just, Good. You know, and, and so the power of the word next, I tell you, it will get you through. You put something out there. If it doesn't go through, next, move on. If you really, really love that idea, keep it for yourself. You'll get to use it again. You have no idea how many pitches I have recycled. Good. <laughs> it didn't work in that room, but it's perfect for this one. Yes. So it's okay. Excellent. Oh, I love it. Oh, that's wonderful. That is a great note to end on. I want to thank you so much for coming and sharing this information. You've been fantastic. Thank you. I think we've definitely covered areas that I haven't covered before, so I love that. Yeah, so thank you, thank you. It was incredible to see you. You look amazing. You guys can't see her, but I can. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, um, so I am saying thank you to Wendy Calhoun, and uh, thank you all for joining us. 
And let's see, upcoming events. I have the Story Expo, which is September 6th, 7th, and 8th. And you can find that on my website at www.jengrisanti.com under events and seminars, as well as Googling Story Expo. Uh, there are going to be a number of incredible, incredible speakers uh, there from authors, top authors, to, to top TV writers, to film writers, to everything. So if you have an interest in working as a writer, you definitely want to check out the Story Expo. And let's see, lastly, uh, tvtracker.com. I always highly recommend um, resources, valuable resources. If you are interested in having a stronger understanding of what's in development, what's on TV, um, the, the descriptions for who does what at every network on every show, I do recommend uh, that you look into tvtracker.com. So I want to thank all of you for joining us. And this is Jen Grisanti of StoryWise Podcast. You've been listening to StoryWise with Jen Grisanti. If you're looking to get to the next step in your career and need a guide who has been there and knows what it takes, go to www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. On the website, you can also find the latest on writing programs, feature film festivals, and other writing competitions. StoryWise is produced by Joel Metzger and Hot House Bruiser Productions. This podcast was recorded at the studios of Icebox Logic.